Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here, not in the podcast studio. Um, we are in the Warrior Underground, um, which is the basement of the college, but if we call it the Warrior Underground, we can charge more tuition. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are here at the Warrior Underground at Wisconsin Lutheran College, and we are for our second time, the first time was years ago, uh, live recording the podcast with a bunch of students from Milwaukee area colleges, campus ministries, the point of grace. And so we thank them for joining us. A few of them, uh, if they have been unfortunate, may have listened to the podcast before or heard of it, but we're excited to have others of you here as we will be talking Theology, uh, letting the bird fly, what that means to live in Christian freedom, living freely in a world given back to us. Uh, and I would say if you've, if you've heard us in chapel before, you probably hear a lot of those phrases pop up as well uh, in our preaching. Let the Bird Fly is part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. Encourage those here if they're ever interested or those uh, listening, uh, normal listeners, to go to 1517.org, lots of good stuff there. Uh, you can get daily devotions. There's like 19, 20 podcasts now in the network. The man to my right has a couple books uh, over there, an academy course where he dresses very hip. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ever want to see Dr. Berg uh, dressed, I don't know, like a... They made me buy new clothes. Let's mm-hmm. just say that. Got an email to buy clothes. That's right. Uh, you can go check out the Academy course there. To hip, my right, then, uh, Dr. is... Dr. Berg is one of my favorite Dr. Berg incarnations. Yeah? I, yeah, I like hip Dr. Berg. All right. Yeah. All right, thanks, Jason. Um, <laughs> to my right, then, for those not here and listening, is the Reverend Dr. Michael Berg, my dear friend and colleague. And to my left is the Reverend Professor Jason Oakland, And uh, lest we stretch out this introduction too long, we will go ahead and make our way uh, to our main topic, which will be you and your Bible. We want to do something that hopefully everybody can relate to, and so uh, you and your Bible. So hopefully you have a Bible. If you don't, let us know, and Jason will buy you the most expensive study Bible that you can find on Amazon. Um, Is that a promise? Uh, I guess, yes. Uh, but but what, do you, what should you be doing with your Bible? For many of us here at WLC, uh, this is a required textbook for some classes. Um, but how does the Christian relate to the Scriptures? What should they be doing with their Bible? That is what we will be talking, and we'll make our way to the main topic. And we'll make our way to the main topic then, uh, you and your Bible. And Michael, you had some stuff that you wanted to say as we introduced this that maybe I can throw it uh, to you first. Yeah, let me, let me say this for, 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 to, to get us going. 
So we're talking about you and your Bible, and so uh, Dr. Johnson has a list of things like you pray it, you sing it, you read it, you hear it, and all those things uh, may seem obvious, but I think there's some I distinctions there that are, that are really important. And, uh, but one thing that I think we need to start off with is the idea that the Word of God is active and it moves. So uh, uh, Paul talks about this as having a dynamis. It's dynamic. Uh, there's a few places where we talk about it being active, a double-edged sword. It does something. And that, that's very profound because in our late modern period, which I think we're coming out of right now, think very scientific Think about reducing everything to like uh, its, its basic form, whether it be like atoms or um, taking all the stats of baseball and putting it into a uh, uh, you know, money ball, that kind of stuff. Um, we tend to look over things. We think that, that our reason is the thing that rules over things. Yeah? And we human beings are, are, are just so darn smart that we can, given enough time and information that we could figure it out. And the, and the problem in the modern period was a lack of knowledge, but once we get enough knowledge, then we're going to be good. So we then started to treat the Bible in, a, in a, an academic way, even for Christians. And so the picture there is you, you stand over the Bible, and the Bible doesn't move. It's on the table, doesn't move, it doesn't do anything, and you can study it, and you can uh, you can do the grammar. You can put the, the nouns over here and the verbs over here, and you can find one word over here and find it repeated over here, and you can make a list of where all, the, the, all that same word uh, found its way into the pages of Scripture, and you can dissect it, and you can, and you can come up with all of these theories, and you can put things into categories. And most of this is, can be very helpful. It's something that we actually do here and certainly did for uh, us in our training as being pastors, but you lose something. You lose something when you're looking over it, and it's a static thing that you put under a microscope. Rather, it is a living thing that does something to you. Uh, maybe some of you have heard a pastor say, you don't read the Bible, the Bible reads you. Yeah? And that's something that, that you're like, oh, that's kind of cute. But then later in life, you'll figure out what it is because you, you, it'll dawn on you in cert certain circumstances. So I think primarily... Uh, you, this, is an inter, this is a living interaction with something that, that, is, that is dynamic. It's got some juice to it. God's word has creative power. It says, let there be light, and there was light. I have more to say on that, but why don't I just leave that for right now and, and see where the conversation goes. Sure. Okay. Um, I'd pick up uh, as we get started thinking about this too, is that we, especially in the American setting, America is a country that began after the printing press had been developed, and so it was easy for everyone to have their Bible, right? Me and my Bible. And many people lived in areas that um, were somewhat secluded. Uh, it wasn't easy to get to church every week, especially in the middle of the winter, uh, muddy roads and stuff like that. You may not even have a pastor yeah, within a hundred miles. Yeah, no one to serve. That was often the case for Lutheran churches where you'd have circuit riders and, and so it, it developed as, in, as part of American culture that the me and my Bible mentality of all I need is me and my Bible and I can make it work. Thomas Jefferson, one of our founding fathers, famously had his Bible where he just kind of cut out, blacked out the parts that he didn't like, which were the, the miraculous. But all of the early founding fathers, to some degree or another, were Bible readers. 
and most Americans, even when most weren't um, very active in church, uh, attending church, church attendance numbers were, were very low early on when our country started. They had a Bible at home and they, they were reading it. Um, even some of our uh, famous presidents and senators who themselves weren't active churchgoers loved to quote the Bible, the scriptures. These were stories that had, had shaped them. And it can become easy then for us to think, well, I have me and, and my Bible. And I can kind of, uh, I can go it alone. I can figure it out with me and, and, and my Bible. And so when we say you and your Bible, uh, it's also good for us to remember uh, this is not you and your Bible uh, as if sometimes we hear people say, and I apologize if anybody here has said it, I'm not making fun of you now. I'll make fun of you privately later. Um, but basic instructions before leaving Earth, right? As if like we're going to teleport to another planet or something. And so I have, and I'm going to go to my Bible, and I'm going to look at it, and I'm going to figure it out, and I'll be all good. But we remember in the church's history, while we as Protestants hold the scripture alone, I'm never called to read scripture alone. I may have my, my private Bible study that I do, uh, but that's never just mine. Um, I want to be reading the scriptures with those who have gone before, which though, with those who are alive today. Um, I've told the story in class probably a number of times, so I apologize to students that have to hear it again. But... Uh, I remember my, my grandmother once calling me when I was at seminary, and I had been raised Roman Catholic, but my, my grandma on my mom's side was Lutheran, and so she was like super proud that I was becoming a Lutheran pastor. I mean, she had won probably as part of what she was thinking. And um, she called, and she had been reading her Bible, and she was very concerned, and she said, uh, wait, I think I sinned. And I said, well, Grandma, I'm sure you sinned, but what sin do you think you, you committed? And she said, well, I think I set up an idol in the living room. And I thought, well, well, this is super interesting. And I, thought, I said, well, what's the idol? And she, the Christmas tree she was thinking of, because she was reading in the Old Testament, and, and they had set up poles, right, trees for worship. And I said, well, are, are, are you hoping to have more kids, Grandma? And she said, well, no, you know, Grandpa's gone to heaven, and I'm pretty old. And I said, well, that's talking about fertility goddesses, right, not, not Christmas trees, she was doing a good thing. She was reading her Bible, but she was reading it alone. And, and pastors, too, it's easy to, um, to fall astray. But beyond getting, like, the data right, the scriptures are also something to be applied to you by brothers and sisters in the faith. Uh, and if we, if we seclude ourselves, we cut ourselves off, and we think, well, it's just me and my scriptures, which can be a, a temptation at, you know, when you're... Um, at a university that's, that's not a Christian college or university as well, you can feel like maybe you're left with just that. Uh, that we remember the Bible is, is a living voice. It's a living voice of God, think, and that that comes out in And I think what you're, what you're really after here is that you need, you need someone to preach to you. Like, because faith comes from hearing. And so the, this is important that what do you do with your Bible? You hear it. Yeah? And... What we're after here is that it's not just a textbook, right, that you, you gain information for, for life, as if it's um, a manual for life or um, a self-help book or a textbook, but that it, it preaches to you. So if it preaches to you, then you, you have to hear it. And, and that may seem like a, uh, uh, you know, just a semantic thing that we're, we're, we're talking about here, 
Um, but it's actually really important because you need to hear somebody say, this is for you. You need to, say, you need to hear somebody say uh, this is for, that this forgiveness is for you, right? The for you type language. And so uh, we can understand like, okay, if I go on my own, not, I need a teacher, right? Like um, you, can, you can read yourself into some things, but you, you need a teacher to understand it. But it's more than that. It is a living, active thing that actually kills you and makes you alive, right? And, and that happens in community. Uh, think of... Uh, and, and it's okay to read it. It does it when you read it. But, but when it's preached to you or when you read it as if it's preaching to you, you understand that concept that is doing something to you. Yeah, and if someone think of someone studying to be a medical doctor or a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I can never remember the difference between those to Pastor Lion Pride knows, you need, you, you tell me after. You need a psychiatrist. Right. Pride a psychologist I want the one would that study gives, you. Yeah. Would study yeah. you okay. as a case study. But, um, right, you want that. They're, they're, they're going to be studying medical texts. Um, they're going to be learning all the stuff that they can learn. And yet when they need, they're sick. Um, or they need to talk to someone. They're going to go to someone else who's been doing the same and so as we get into this, yeah, I just want to have that caution of that this is in community. Uh, I always get a kick out of when sometimes people will use the Bereans from Acts as like an example of, of private Bible study, personal Bible study. You might remember Paul goes and he preaches and then the Bereans search the scriptures to see if what he says is true. And sometimes uh, in our circles, you'll almost get the impression from people when they use that of like each of them went and got their Concordia self-study Bible and then they went home, and then they read, and they independently decided that this was, was true. Uh, but just that we remember the scriptures as they developed were texts that were given to be read in community and read to community. And even the act of reading, you know, there's the old story of St. Ambrose that may be true or not true. I have a PhD in history, and I have a very sophisticated way of deciding if something's true or not. And that's if I like the story, and I do. So... Um, St. Ambrose, people used to uh, supposedly be astonished when he would read because he would read silently. And um, everyone read out loud. That's, that's how you read. But in our day, right, your teachers hopefully not literally beat that out of you, but they, it was don't read out loud, read yourself. And then it was even don't move your lips. Um, but even that, te- that idea of the text meant to catch your ears, even if it's just you reading I don't necessarily, you know, recommend this if your roommate's trying to sleep or something, that you read every text aloud, um, but that the scriptures, while we're going to be talking about a book, that they're meant to get your ears. Jason, you yeah. want to say something? Sure. Um, I think not only that he read silently, but he was selfish for doing it, right? That, yeah, uh, some accuse that him of because, that. Because, hey, um, why aren't you sharing this wonderful gift? And I think that, you know, to pick up on what Dr. Berg was saying, too. This that is, is this a little thing for a Bible hook? Right, exactly. You I, carry I your Bible, Bible on it. Yep, right, Jason's perfect. very fancy shirts if it, yep. you want to look after. Yeah, right. And right. I think I got a little Velcro. Thing. It could put you could have brought like six Bibles here just in the shirt. <laughs> right, All right, yeah. go ahead. Um, but that idea of someone preaching to you and how the word um, is directed to you, um, it's, it's an interesting thing. This is, we did an episode on, we did a couple episodes kind of around this idea, um, and this was something that we talked about previously, this idea of how the, um, it's easy to maybe, talk, it's easy to talk about the Bible. It's easy to talk about 
scriptural truths or scriptural teachings in the third person. That idea that it's, you know, this is, you know, God for sinners, um, Jesus dying for the world. And it's important to understand the, those, those claims and those truths, but, but that, that concept of first person and second person um, and how that needs to be pointed to you and preached to you and, and uh, not just talked about, but, but taken in. Um, that it, that it, that you have that you can't talk first person as in for me or second person for you without having that do something to you. It 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 gets in. It gets in that way. You can't remain the the um, observer studying this at a at a distance. The the psychologist, but you know, studying this object, um, but now we're talking scriptures, not the mind of Dr. Johnston, um, right? So, so this idea of coming, letting it in, and sometimes having it put to you uh, in a way that you can't help but let it in, um, that's an important and necessary thing. Yeah, and I, I think uh, this also is true about preaching, so I'm going to apologize uh, on behalf of all of preachers because they they did it wrong for a long time probably in your lifetime and i say that uh, as a confession of my own own faults that uh for too long they preached about the gospel and didn't preach the gospel that's what we're after here it's not just about something but it actually does something right so it it and and the scriptures talk about that as it at killing and making you alive right and when i read scriptures i can very easily skip over the places that i don't like right so or or I can, I can in a in a dark way, only think about those things that that call me on the carpet, yeah, and never quite get to the gospel word. Um, I can remember um, uh, a member of mine when I was a parent, when I was a real pastor, and uh, um, <laughs> she had talked her way out of grace because she had not forgiven her parents. Um, it would have been a hard thing to forgive her parents. Let's just say it that way. And, and for decades, she, she hadn't. I'll leave it at that. And she had all sorts of Bible passages about how she, couldn't come to, she shouldn't go to Holy Communion. And finally, I said, I'll be the theologian, and you just listen to me. And it dawned on me that she needed a preacher to say, this is true for you, instead of talking her way out of it. Right? So back to like, okay, what do you, it's you and your Bible. Um, how, how does that get played out? Well, hear it. Hear it speak to you. Don't go over it, right? But hear it, hear it come from on high. You are under it, and it's coming to you. You're under it in, in another way, too, that it's, that it's God's word, and you don't have the right to just kind of say that it's wrong. And, and let me go down that path real quick. So we kind of think about, okay, I'm under scripture and this is God's word, thus saith the Lord, and I'm not allowed to have an opinion or whatever. Um, this is the, th- that, that's not the case. In fact, this is the most beautiful thing ever because through all of, your, all of your long nights and all of your fighting with God, I can almost guarantee you that it came down to you were only reveling in God's law. You are only hearing the one word from God, which was law. 
and you needed to be freed with this gospel. So when the scripture's over you and tells you that Jesus rose from the dead and he did it for your sinful sorry butt, that's true whether you have a dark night or a bad night, or like I like to say, if you had a good Jesus day or a bad Jesus day. These things are true for you whether you had a good spiritual day or a bad spiritual day, right? Sounds like a comedy movie, Bad Jesus. Yeah, mm. it would be a good one, yeah. Um, <clears throat> this, this is very, 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 very powerful, right? That your value is true whether the society says so or not and whether or not you say so or not, right? And so to be under it is actually quite comforting, and I would argue freeing, free from the law, but also free from chasing after all of these man-made laws we put, all under, we put over ourselves. Success, yes. money, you name all the, those things. So it's, I think it's really important to have that, di that distinction. So you hear it being spoken to you. It's no longer a textbook that you're trying to learn. No longer is it a self-help book that you're trying to live up to. So if you read the, like, you know, you try to get the Bible through the Bible in one year and you fail, it's okay. Who cares? I mean, it's not God's a competition. Track, but. <laughs> I mean, I'm, at, I'm in numbers right now, but whatever. Yeah. Good, good luck. Yeah. I'll see if yeah, I get that. <laughs> Deuteronomy is tough. I will say, too, it Mike, uh, yep. he jokes about preaching, but I think that's something, uh, that's a commentary on our own preaching over the years. As you look, I, I had, uh, we, when we redid the, the podcast studio, uh, which is everything you would imagine. There was <laughs> a box in there, and, uh, and, and Mike said, uh, what is that? And I said, all that, oh, that's all my sermons from the parish. I used to print them out, and I had a box stack like this, and he said, why would you keep those? <laughs> and uh, he, he was making a good point, because you look back and you get sad, and you just go, man. That was awful. That was not good. <laughs> um, I better do uh, better next time. And that idea of, of theology about things, uh, this was an important development in kind of German academic theology um, after the Enlightenment, so think like after the American Revolution and, uh, and the French Revolution, which was like the American Revolution, but they cut off way more heads, but in a super civilized way <laughs> right, with the guillotine. Um, and uh, the, the move with kind of biblical higher criticism and the idea of the Bible as a text like any other text, so we're going to stand over it. We're going to compare it to other religions. Um, we're going to uh, try to figure out what's, you know, the original um, and then what was added later by editors and stuff like that, which largely has been debunked. Um, you know, at one point they were down to Jesus as Lord is about the only thing you could be sure of in there. And even that, you know, couldn't define but there was this notion that there was like theology that you did for the parish. Like you had to have something to preach to the common people. But then real theology was doing like a narrow field, ecclesiology, soteriology, eschatology. If you don't know what those are, God bless you. you know, you're, up, you're good. Don't worry. Um, but coming at it in a, a very, uh, what they would have said, scientific in a modern sense of the word. And, and what that did is that made God an object of inquiry, and the problem is the God of the Old and New Testament is not an object of inquiry. You're standing over not only the Bible, but God, and he's under a microscope. Yeah, he, he's a person, right? 
And and this does feed into how we can tend to then see the the Bible as we're going to go in and we're going to figure this thing out. And it becomes an endeavor like you might do in any academic field. Rather than this is where we're going to encounter the Christ. Uh, there's a person who's meeting you in Scripture. And that might not always be uh, patently obvious. But part of the point is that um, the Bible's going to work on you. Luther says one of the ways of becoming a theologian is meditatio. You, you ponder the word. And sometimes it's 30 years later that something in Scripture really makes sense. Uh, because God doesn't reveal himself in experience, but he reveals himself through the Scriptures, which speak to and interpret experience. And it, it's kind of, um, you get old and you got to take a lot of medicine. And I don't like going to the doctor, so I just, I basically go online and then I buy over-the-counter stuff and self-medicate, uh, which Michael says I shouldn't do, but it's working so far. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's say you get, you get heartburn, right? I know it's hard to believe like an old fat man would get heartburn, uh, which I'm going to have after eating pepperoni pizza, but it's totally worth it. Um, you like you'll take the medicine and it'll say may take four to five days to kick in. Uh, and we're very modern, we're very impatient people. We expect right this thing now. I want to be able to open my Bible, and we've all done this probably randomly open to a page and have the verse that just perfectly speaks to my situation. And I'm treating the Bible like I used to treat like playlists that we would make in high school, like back in the day when you'd have to listen to the radio and have your cassette and hit record. And then, like, you know, you'd have the cassette tape that's, like, the sad music. And then you'd have, like, oh, you're going to go lift the angry music. And then if you were fortunate enough to fool some girl into spending time with you, you'd make her the playlist. It's, like, the romantic music, right? And we kind of treat the Bible which, like we're going to... Which was truly a labor of love because that took a long time. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it indeed did. And, uh, but what, what do you... When, when you treat the Bible that you way... you never had to do it. Right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon here. Okay. <laughs> um, but we can sometimes treat the Bible there that way too of like, um, I know what I want, I need, I want from it now, and I'm just going to go there. Uh, and it's forgetting that the, the Bible is, right, what is, what is Jesus called? He's not just Jesus, he's the Word. He's, he's the Logos. Luther says the Bible is the, the swaddling clothes right, in which the infant Jesus is rest for us. Um, and, I, and I think if I can speak to those who are at WLC, this is one of the dangers that comes uh, with our theology classes, is that the Bible for 12 of your credits over your time here is maybe a textbook required for the class. And that's not, hopefully we're doing pastoral theology while we're doing our classes, um, but we ought never think the Bible is a textbook. Right? The Bible is the living voice of God. And, and so what should you do? What if you're just starting at the beginning and you're reading through and not everything makes sense? Well, then turn the page. Welcome to the club. I've been doing that for my entire time as a Protestant Christian. Um, that's the experience of the, of the church. Augustine gets to old age and he writes this long thing of all the corrections of things he got wrong. Um, and, and so I think that that remembering it's not just about, it's not just data. And we live in an America where a lot of American Christianity is that it's, we're going to give you the data and then you make a decision. Right? That's what a lot of Christian teaching and preaching becomes. 
here's some data, here's some facts about Jesus, now make a decision. Um, and it, it misses uh, what the scriptures are doing. They're, they're, they're giving you a person, they're giving you Christ. I remember I had a, uh, a brother pastor once, and I went to hear him preach, and I, I'm a terrible person to listen to preaching. Pretty much all the preachers here know that because they've got a snide comment from me at one point or another um, that was undeserved. But I remember this was like the classic 90s Wells sermon, meaning it was about evangelism because that was pretty much every 90s Wells sermon. And the whole sermon, it was, it was great at telling us to tell people about Jesus. And I remember just I went up to him after, and I should have said it more nicely than I said it, but I said, who the hell is Jesus? You didn't give us Jesus. Who is this? I'm supposed to go tell people about him. Who is he? And, and that um, is important when we go to the scriptures that we're not. Uh, Jesus wasn't just an idea that somebody wrote down about, and then we go, hey, this is, um, this is a really good idea. I'm going to take some of these ideas. And so you get one of the best movie scenes ever for theology. And some of you have seen this in my class, but Talladega Nights which with probably maybe America's greatest actor in all of human history, uh, Will Ferrell. And they're at the, the table, and he prays to, to little baby Jesus, what is it, 14 pounds, 6 ounces, watching his bi- baby Einstein in his gold fleece diapers. And then Cal Naughton Jr. says, I like to picture my Jesus in a tuxedo T-shirt front row at like a Leonard Skinner concert because I like to party. And we inevitably... I'll do that then. We make our, our own Jesus. And what the, the scriptures are meant to do is to give you the Christ. And maybe if I can throw it to you, Michael, I think this is maybe a, a good place to bring up um, something we were talking about before. And maybe if we use the Psalms as an illustration yeah. of this, I think the Psalms are a hard book of the Bible to read as a young person sometimes. I, I, I struggled, yeah. um, but with time, they really grow. So uh, one point to, to what you were saying I should have used, I said, a, I said a bad word, and I should have used, I figured out how to put sounds on here, and I actually have this one. All right. I should have believed myself. Yeah. We've been working on that for <laughs> If a you're going to say something, give me like a little side glance, if, and I'll If you like that, that uh, we, we, did a, we did a whole episode on swearing, so. <laughs> and it, you know okay. what it was? Yeah. It was, it was. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Yeah. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate iconoclast, and what we mean by that is that he shatters the image of God that you have, uh, that you have created. And this God looks remarkably like you. Votes like you. Looks like you. uh, Loves the same things uh, that you do, um, and hates all the people that you hate. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers. But Christ <laughs> loves everybody, including diva quarterbacks. Yeah? And so he's the ultimate iconoclast. And if you, if you are not offended by Jesus, you need, to, you need to look deeper into the scriptures. If you're not offended by Jesus, this is a problem. Come to chapel tomorrow. I'm preaching. And uh, we're going to talk about the, this, is, this is what we're after here is that he's offensive. Okay. You've been snarky this semester with your sermons, too. Yeah. All right. Been going um, after us. I figured I found out that this is what this is what you say. You say, "Let me tell you something." Or I, you know <laughs> what happens when he pushes back a little? This it's coming. This summer, I realized they can't fire me. 
Really? Because <laughs> I have a call. Ah. All right. So, no. I hope the provost isn't. So, uh, <laughs> Jesus is the ultimate iconoclast, right? He's going he's gonna to break that image you have of him. He, he should offend you. Yeah? Now, what Wade was after there was uh, the, the Psalms, and the connection there is when you read the Psalms, and, and you could argue that the Psalms are the most personal of the, of the books of the Bible. Yeah. And so even though it's poetry, I don't like poetry, it seems like vague, and it's like repetition, it doesn't seem, like we like the stories. And, and by the way, that's beautiful because we tend to like push aside the stories for the data, for the like systematize. I know everything about baptism, um, but I, I never figured out that the flood was actually about baptism, right? And uh, you, you can, know what you made me think about again? Huh. Can I plug it? Yeah. So theology and CMO are talking about doing this thing. Um, this free this natural is, no, no, thing. No, no, no. You're you thinking about it. I don't think that it's... A I already got CMO approval, did I not? The campus ministry office, I'm, for those okay. of you not... Okay, how many people have seen... Pastor Wardell's... Right. How many people have seen Natural Libre? Okay, this is one of the greatest this, movies of all this time. This is sad, yeah. When he baptizes, the, but he says, people think I don't know a buttload of the, about the gospel, but I do. <laughs> Jack Black's in it. And so we may or may not watch the movie together. We can't apparently advertise if we're watching the movie, but but maybe there would be something where you see we have a, watch party a sign that says, free nachos. And if you had roughly like 96 minutes to spare, <laughs> maybe you'd want to come have some nachos. But that's a great baptism scene. Sorry, go ahead. Okay. Even this guy likes this movie. Okay, so. And he doesn't like things. Psalms are the most personal of the, of, of, of the books of the Bible. Um, and the stories are, have their own thing, right? But the Psalms are, are personal. And when you read the Psalms, think that there's three authors. The first author is the original author, very often David. So it's helpful for you to figure out what's going on in David's life. Is he being chased by Saul? Did he just, uh, uh, did Nathan just chastise him for having an affair with Bathsheba? That helps you understand the context. The second author is Christ. Now, and I don't just mean inspired by God, I mean Christ. So imagine Christ speaking those Psalms. Um, and uh, some of them are pretty obvious because he does speak them. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And everybody be thinking, but what about those Psalms? It talks about uh, iniquity and I'm sinful, whatever. Yeah, on the cross, he who had no sin became sin for you. And then the third author is you. And here's where it gets interesting. Because, I, I, because they give you the words that, that help you articulate the feelings that you're having right now. So uh, all of you have experienced this where there's like a song that just, you just remember this song uh, usually when you were like in high school. And it just, it just, it just spoke to you. And not, and not really spoke Snoop to Dogg, you. Snoop Dogg, Jen and Juice. Yeah. yeah. And it spoke <laughs> for you, right? It spoke for you. And the music and the poetry probably was actually not that great. But at that it moment, at that moment, Flowed. It, it, spoke, it spoke for you because it articulated the feelings in a way you could not articulate them. Put the Psalms the do this. And, and I'll, I'll go one step further. Not only do the Psalms articulate the feelings that you had trouble articulating, 
it actually tells you about the feelings you didn't even know you had and then articulates them. And so we're taking, what do you do with your Bible? Well, you hear it, you got to read it. Take up and read. That's a, that's a good uh, Augustine way yeah. of doing it. Take up and read. You got to just read. I believe it's pronounced Augustine. Yeah, okay. Just look over the pages and, and read. You don't like what you're at right there? Okay, you know what? Come back to that later. Just keep reading. Read stuff over and over again. Read it slowly. Read it out loud. Read here and then pray. Now, how do you pray the Bible? Well, make them your words, right? And we also say, sing it. Maybe quite literally, sing the Psalms, right? Sing it because it, it, it's, it's something more than just words, right? It, it's, it's elevated words. And so the Psalms are a good place to start with that because it tells you about yourself things you didn't know about yourself and feelings you didn't know you had and they will be articulated for you and you will then, and here I think is the, is the best thing about it, is that you're drawn into Christ. So what do we mean by being drawn into Christ? We mean that you die and rise with him. This is Romans 6. So if you want to start somewhere, go Romans 6. And your sinful nature dies and a new person is resurrected. Yeah, and so you're drawn into the life of Christ. This is what good worship does too. It draws you into the life of Christ. And it's hard because Christ dies and you have to die too. It's hard to have the hammer of God shatter me to pieces. It's hard. But unless you go through that, you'll never really truly appreciate the gospel. Yeah? And so you're pulled into Christ's uh, death and resurrection and you are a sinner saint the sinner has to die. There's no reform in the sinner. He's got to die. And then the new person is not on his way or on her way. She's already there because it's a resurrected type thing. Yeah? We could talk forever on that. So that means there's a battle going on between the old and the new in your life. And uh, this is why you can be a delight one day, uh, one moment, and then a... Oh. And then a... <laughs> the next moment, you know? <laughs> Because you're old and you're new, you're sinner and you're saint. I like that button. Now, so, That's a good button. when you approach Scripture as the sinner saint, as the Christian, you're doing battle with God and he's working on you and, he, and your God throws punches. This is like Jacob. You're going to limp after this. You're going to limp after yeah. this. God's going to throw punches at you and, and he's not going to, he's not going to, he's he, not going to. He is like Michigan State players after a loss to yeah, Michigan. they are going to throw helmets and stuff. <laughs> Your God is a God who throws punches at you, and, and he's a God that not only allows, but wants you to throw punches back. And if you don't know what I mean, then read the Psalms. Yep. Because there, it's a why God. Or, you know, an underrated book. I've been reading this, Numbers. Just reading uh, the first 12 chapters of Numbers and the and, uh Miriam and Aaron and it's Moses. My, my wife's favorite book. Yeah, I bet. You know and why? Because an accountant. The, yeah, she's an she's accountant. An accountant. <laughs> and all that, but it's really not about numbers. There's, there's not that no, many numbers. She was very disappointed when she read it. And then, so, <laughs> I mean, there's stories in there that you forgot that you never got in Sunday school. And Moses is like pleading with God and throwing punches at God, right? Um, and you have a God that doesn't flip you, flick you away, right? But rather takes all of that. Yeah, he takes all of that. Uh, and this is, this is powerful stuff. This is what we mean by the scriptures being active and doing something to you. Um, and you, and you, 
when you're ticked off at God and you're not sure if you're allowed to say that you're ticked off at God, then go to, a, read the Psalms. Give me a Psalm where, I don't know, off the top of my head, where, where it's... Uh, how long, O oh Lord? Yeah, how long, O oh Lord? What the heck? Right? You're interacting with it in that way. Yeah? And the full reign of emotions are there. And that's so much different than a sanitized Bible that you look over and you're like, okay, how am I supposed to react? And what's going to come next? And God's got a plan for me. You know, and I try to figure this out. And, and my problem is a lack of knowledge. And the solution is more knowledge. So I better read all of numbers again. Instead Which of... Is a, a very ancient a Greek way of looking at things. Ignorance is just the problem. Well, and, and, a, and, a, and a modern way too, right? And instead of having the scripture pour over you and, and, and beat you up a little bit. Beat you up a little bit. And you're going to throw some punches too. Um, and uh, you'll wrestle with God. And you'll be true Israel. I, uh, who grappled with God. And this overcame. Was, this was part of, for chapel today, I, I had to laugh. Uh, not at anything Pastor Chevy said. Um, <clears throat> I'm just joking. Was, we had a very nice chapel. But when he was reading the lesson, and uh, that must have been the NIV, I think, that, that you were using for your text. And so it's Jonah, and Jonah's mad at God, and they're going back and forth. And uh, so verse 9 is just great. The Lord's like, uh, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah replies, it is, and I'm so angry, I wish I were done. <laughs> you know, you expect him to be like, oh, man, God's talking to me and asking if I should be angry. I should totally say no. And Jonah's like, yeah. I'm Superman. Like, I want to die. Like, what's wrong with you? And this uh, beats the false piety out of us. Like, you want to say the right words in prayer, right? You're like, you don't want to offend God, so you want to have the right scriptural grammar. Like, he doesn't know what you're thinking anyway. Right? Just say it. Throw some punches. And that uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I was a little hard on the German theologians before, so one of my favorite theologians, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he... Uh, he, he says about the Psalms that, that Christ took the Psalms and he picked them up, he lifted them up, and he read them and he lived them, and then he gave them back to us. And if you know uh, Bonhoeffer's story, he ends up hung by the Nazis, uh, hung naked, put to death, um, partly to a large extent because he participated in a conspiracy to kill Hitler, but I mean, who? What Lutheran pastor wouldn't? Right. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't see Pastor Lyon almost any day where he's not like, man, if only I could have killed Hitler. <laughs> um, but, uh, but he's, bon, Bonhoeffer's reflecting on this, and this is the comfort he takes in his own suffering as he sits in prison. And in a Nazi prison, a Nazi concentration camp was not a very hopeful place to be. Um, but we, he, he had the words of Psalm 22, Christ on the cross, another very hopeless situation. Right. And, he and this is, I mean, Good Friday. Next time you, you go to a Good Friday service and go to a Good Friday service, the, the Psalms, you just you can't not hear Christ yeah. um, living them, speaking them. So what do we do? We did hear, You sing, threw out like five at once. I was in Pray. Christ. What else did you have on your list? So anyways, I just wanted to, if you guys have ever wondered what a theology department meeting is like, so when I made the Snoop Dogg joke, and you maybe saw Michael's just look of disgust and he ignored me, that is what a theology department meeting is like. Um, I say something and he just yeah. does that look. Um, <laughs> and uh, 
But then once in a while I get a smile, and that makes me happy. I've got hear, read, ponder, pray, sing, question, stand under, uh, make it stories, your stories, uh, find Jesus. We should close with find Jesus. We've got just a couple minutes here, but I, I do think maybe just to drive home a little bit on um, ponder, um, when the scriptures talk about pondering, the scriptures are thinking on them. One of the words they use is like a, a cow chewing its cud. And I don't know if you've ever watched a cow. It's not the most exciting thing. Um, but what do you call that? Masticating? They're mm. like breaking it down. I don't know, their saliva or whatever. I'm not a cow, I don't know. Been to a dairy farm once. I went to my wife's uh, uncle's dairy farm. One of the cows like gave birth. Super disgusting. <laughs> And then, like, my kid tried to, like, touch the stuff that was still, like, hanging in that. Focus. It was my only kid at the time. She was, like, two. And I was, like, she's going to be forever unclean. And I got us out of there, and I said, uh, no more cows. But if you think of what a cow is doing when it's chewing its cud, and it's, it's just this deliberate thinking on, this is what Mary does, right, with the promises. And, and that doesn't mean that that's always, a, like, a cognitive, ongoing thing of, like, I'm just going to spend five hours thinking on this thing. But that that thing is there as you're, you're going through your day, as you're, you're thinking on other things, that it's, it's bouncing around. It's able to, to do work. Um, and that's what we do with the scriptures. The, the last one, and maybe we'll throw this to Jason because he hasn't got to say much. Um, but the, I, uh, if you've had me, you know that I... I joke about not growing up in Protestantism so I didn't have to do any of the weird Protestant stuff that some of you did. I didn't have to sing the Noah had an, Noah had an Arky Arky song. I never had to memorize all the books of the Bible. In fact, I've gotten by pretty well by buying Bibles with tables of contents in them. Um, I, uh, I never had to memorize all the kings of Israel. And so if you've had me, you've probably heard me joke, what a terrible thing to go to hell but know all the names of the kings of Israel. Um, you know, the Bible is not just trivia. Uh, it's a book uh, that's about Jesus. It's where we find Jesus. And maybe if I can throw that to Jason, if Michael wants to jump in, he can, and then we can go to Q&A. Um, sometimes people will say, well, you know, um, the Bible's a book about Jesus. Jesus is on every page. And they might be disappointed if they go home later and they read numbers, numbers and they, they find a verse that doesn't mention Jesus. What do we mean by that? I think I uh, like Jesus when that's a softball. Yeah, I was just hoping to answer Jesus and be set, but no. Um, yeah, I, I mean, really, from beginning to end, and like I said, every verse uh, is pointing either to or back, either to as in coming toward or coming away from and pointing back to Christ, right? And if you're talking the Old Testament, like even those numbers verses that may not have you know a whole lot um a whole lot directly to do with you know this is this is what Jesus did for my salvation he died on the cross and things like that um it's still talking about um uh, again God active in history God active in uh the lives of his people and i think you know this idea too of you know some of that is drawing toward the plan of salvation and allowing that to to unfold but but then also um, sometimes it's not just that it's you look at some of those accounts um, and 
the narratives as far as, you know, um, what's going on there isn't just about maybe the things that are going on with Jacob or isn't just about things that are going on with Moses, but, you know, it's that idea of seeing, you know, how do, how do we fit in there as Jesus is, again, as you're talking, working on us, right? And, and I think um, whether, and, and sometimes you need a little bit of help finding that Sometimes you need a little bit of help uncovering that, but it's there. Um, and I think that's, you know, where you say, you know, every, everything from beginning to end, you're going to find Jesus. Um, that's not an overstatement. Um, it, is really, it is really the case. And, but it takes some time, maybe, and it takes some help, and it takes some people, you know, pointing that out. And, yeah. I, let, let, me, let me, can I end on this? Can yeah, go ahead. On, um so we've kind of been uh, taught to think like uh, Adam and Eve were, were created. They were created perfect. We got that. And then it was kind of like, let's see if they make it. Like they had a clean slate. And then they, they sinned, and so then everybody had original sin after that. I think a better, equally valid, and uh, sometimes uh, can be even a better way to think about it is that they were born with original righteousness. They did not earn righteousness. And what I mean by righteousness is that they were right with God. Now, they have the perfect image of God, all that kind of language. By the way, this means that righteousness is always a gift. It's never earned. It was never earned by anybody. It was never earned by Adam and Eve. They were created that way. They forfeited that original righteousness by going their own way, saying, I, I, don't, I don't need God. Judge me for who I am. I don't need God's righteousness. Judge me for who I am. Well, by doing that, they rebelled, and, and here we are. The whole story, then, is about God trying to give the righteousness back to stubborn people who want to go on their own. So what we are are toddlers who want to pour their own milk. Yeah? And we're going to spill. But we are so darn stubborn that we want to do it ourselves. Right? Um, and uh, by the way, uh, midlife is when you start to realize you can't do it on your own. But then when you get older, you become infantile again. You still want to drive the car. You still want to pour your own milk. Right? Um, and so it, it doesn't get better. It actually gets worse at, 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 in your old age. So what does this have to do with Christ? Well, Christ is your righteousness. So Christ is the better you. He's the better Israel. He's the perfect Israel who, doesn't, who goes into the wilderness not for 40 years but for 40 days and does what Israel could not do, and that is not fall into temptation. He's the better Noah. He's the better. He's the second and better Adam. Adam. He's the better. Uh, he's the better Moses. He's the better Joshua. He's the better everything. He's the better and perfect you. This is why the Psalms say these curious things. God, you are my righteousness. What does that mean? It means exactly what it says. Jesus is right in your place. You become righteous. You are a saint. Or David like has like a whole psalm about his terrible sins, but then he's like. But I'm blameless. Yeah. And you're like, wait, like, what do you mean you just listed some pretty big whoppers there? Because the righteous live by faith. And that was a phrase that we see in Genesis and the prophets, and then it's hammered home by St. Paul. So when you, see, when you see people in the Old Testament being forgiven, it's not like God winking and be like, ah, I still like Abraham. It is, he is made righteous. He is made righteous, right? Um, and, I, and I think, it, for me, it comes in, 
into the story of Moses and the burning bush. Do we have time for me to do my little spiel on this? Is that okay? I'm asking permission. I don't know how much time we have, but I'll give you time. All right. I'm wanting in my... Moses doesn't know who he is. You ever notice that? He's got an identity crisis. Is he Hebrew slave or is he Egyptian slave master? He doesn't know who he is. And he's neither. And, and it comes out when he beats the, the, the Egyptian foreman. And then maybe he's a hero for the Hebrew slaves. But the Hebrew slaves are like, what are you doing? You're not one of us. Go back to your palace. And you just made it worse for us. So he's not, he's not Hebrew, even though he has Hebrew blood. He doesn't go back to the palace and is, a, and is accepted by his family. Now he's charged with murder. He wasn't never Egyptian in the first place. He's nobody. And so he flees to Midian because that's what we do when we have crisis. We run away. And he's just feeling sorry for himself. And then God says, come here. Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And he says, you're actually the perfect person to go and take my people out of Egypt because you're Hebrew, but you also are, have an Egyptian. You can go into the Egyptian court. You know, how to, you know the language. You know which one's the salad fork. You, you know Talk how to away. walk like an Egyptian. You can walk like an Egyptian. That's where that song comes from. I gotta get from. the Bengals. Yeah. and then said, you guys don't know that song. But that, was a, that was a banger back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Like fourth grade, Wade really liked that. So, then um, it's like 1984. Yeah, but I'm still listening in fourth grade. Right, 84 okay. was first grade. You know what happened first in 1984? Tigers. Tigers won the World right, Series. That was, was a good year. Uh, so he's actually the perfect guy for it, and then he's like, "Oh no, I can't do it. I can't do it." And then what's his final way to try to get out of it? He says, who shall I, if someone asks me, who shall I say is sending me? And, and what he's asking is, what is your name? What is your name? And in the ancient world, that's akin to saying, who, who are you? And, what and with Mo- the divine having the power of the divine, yeah. And Moses, Moses uh, doesn't know this probably, but he's asking the same question that we all ask when we ask, who is God? What's going on in the world? Or we're really asking, who am I? What is my relationship to God in this world? And that's what Moses is asking. I don't, who am I? I don't know who I am. And what does God answer when Moses says, in effect, who are you? I am who I am. I am the God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is, of course, the best mic drop of all time. Who are, who are you? I am. I thought you meant mic drop, like you. Mic drop, no, I am. (laughs) Michael. What God was saying to Moses was not only his name. When he says something good, we should call it mic drops from now on. That sounds good. Not only, did I, I found a student today, his nickname is Juicy. That's awesome. (laughs) All right, I'm like, that's an awesome nickname. All right. Uh, And then I'm like, and then then I'm like, you know what my nickname is? Mic drop. (laughs) Anyway. So when when God answers the question, this is my name. He's also saying, this is who I am. And Moses doesn't know it, but he's also saying, this is who you are, Moses. You are righteous. I am your righteousness, right? So if it's, it's always about Christ, because it's always about Christ being the better and perfect, whoever it is. Not to mention all the pictures, not to mention the line of the Savior. And so our theme is always, these are the scriptures that testify about yeah, and in them there's nothing, there's nothing true in the scriptures that isn't true in Christ. Um, there's nothing about life and neighbor that isn't about Christ because Christ lives in your neighbor. Um, there's nothing about you that isn't about Christ because Christ dwells in you. Uh, you have died and now live. 
um, in and through him, and he lives in you. So, and, he, and he's freed you, so there's nothing left to do. Well, we got a Q&A now, so I, I wasn't going to play the, the music. Gr- Hang on. All right. All right. Um, do you want to see if there's any questions? Otherwise, we'll... A free T-shirt for anybody who wants to ask a question. Oh, I got to unmute you here. All right, go ahead. You, Wade. While you're... Sorry, that's just super fun for me. <laughs> I won't do it again. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, go ahead. I'll stop. Okay. While Don't you're stirring up the courage to ask a question, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw one out to you while everybody starts figuring that out. But uh, you were talking about how we are not over the scriptures. And good Christians that we are, I don't, I don't think we always think in terms that we are over the scriptures. However, a thought that I might have is, it's great that God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. So, As if you had a choice. I was just going to ask if you can respond to that kind of thought while I work my way out to I the just, crowd. You know, that's, that's such a, you know, the idea of loving yourself and forgiving yourself, I get that. Like, don't be too hard on yourself. But what a, what a joke that is. Right, you you had you had trouble believing that you could be valuable, and you know, and you want to depend on yourself for your self-esteem. This seems like a very bad place to be. So we have Scripture tells you that you're forgiven. You don't get a you don't get a choice in the matter. You are loved. You are forgiven. Right, and you know sometimes you have to have somebody say that to you. Right. I mean, if you're wondering if you're if you're if you're loved and you're valuable and you're like, oh, I don't know, and then you have a dear friend come and show you from outside of you that you are valuable with, with an action or a word, that's the remedy. And so the remedy is something extra nos that is outside of you, right? Uh, I, Dr. Johnson likes, likes to say, Jesus loves you, deal with it. Yeah. I think uh, that's the beauty of what John says in his first letter, right, that God is bigger than your conscience. That, you know, what a, what a neat thing that, your heart, yeah. yeah, you know, he's, he's bigger than your conscience. He's bigger than your heart. That, you know, even if, even if that's what you're thinking, even if that's what you're feeling, um, you have that pronouncement from God that says, um, you're wrong, um, but that's okay, because I got you on this. All right, we got our first question. Um. Hi, I'll be honest, I wanted the t-shirt, so I thought of a question. Um, why do you guys bring up the book of Numbers so much? Like, it's like, anytime you're thinking of the Old Testament, it's just numbers, and numbers, and numbers. Uh, because at f- three hours ago, I was reading numbers. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you why I like numbers. Uh, I like numbers because of the, the story of the bronze serpent. And I always connect it with the golden calf because uh, you remember Moses gets the law and the first, uh, the first commandment is you shall have no other gods, you shall not make any graven images. And he gets down there and it's like, you idiots! He was the first one, <laughs> right? And they made a golden calf. And so he, Moses, by the way, does awesome, speaking of the 80s, this is how we uh, parents uh, parented in the 80s. Like if you said a naughty word, you... Got oh. soap in your mouth? Oh, I thought you wanted me to pee. No, no, no. I wouldn't do that because I didn't want to have to wash my mouth. My mom my used to make up. the neighborhoods eat soap even. Yeah. <laughs> she was so, the soap mom. And then, <laughs> so, you know what Moses does? What does he do with the golden calf? He grinds it up, puts it in the water, and makes him drink it. And he says, this is what I think about your God. You're going to drink him and pee him out. 
It was a pretty gritty way of, of making a point. But then in Numbers, God says, make a graven image, right? I think you're okay. what, what, he just said, don't make a graven image, and it ended poorly. And then he says, make a graven image. And I think the point is, if you make a religious image, you're going to get it wrong. You're going to make up a cow, which actually made sense in the ancient world because mm-hmm. a cow's pretty powerful. Made a lot and, of sense, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know what kind of didn't make a, uh, uh, sense in the ancient world, at least, is a snake to save you from snake bites. And John's like, it's kind of like Jesus putting it on the pole of the cross. A death saves you from death, right? It's going to be so offensive to you and so back. I mean, it's like God saying like, oh, you got snake bites? <laughs> Here's a snake. Right now, I know Anna, all that kind of stuff, but they didn't know about that, right? So, so God's making it so you have to trust Him. It's not something you would reasonably come up with. All right, you said you wanted a T-shirt, so you can come up and get a T-shirt. But we got another question. Uh, how do you know if you like truly just like feel the Holy Spirit? And because I know once you get saved, the Holy Spirit is supposed to be right with you or whatever. Like, how do you, like, know when you feel the Holy Spirit? I know there's a difference between, like, when you pray or when you worship. Like, people worship differently. You can feel the Holy Spirit then. And then, like, how about when you're, like, talking to your friends and, like, how do I know if, like, the Holy Spirit's there with me when I'm talking to my friends about God or whatnot? I'll I, I, okay. do one thing and then you guys go. I, I think feels the wrong word, right? We, we see the fruits of the Spirit, generosity, those kinds of things. So that's, that's, that's one point, right? The second point is, um, I objectively know that Christ saved me and that uh, I am, uh, specifically baptism, so Elijah, we, we'll talk about this later, right? I'm baptized. That historic event does not change, and so it doesn't, ma- it doesn't depend on my feeling that day. How do I know I have the Holy Spirit? Uh, because he told me, and because um, I go around and, and I think Christian things, and I pray, and that's, that's what the Spirit's doing. And, it, and, it, and it's not necessarily because I, I feel on fire for Jesus or not. You guys go. I just want to. Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think it's a good question, and I think that Lutherans probably aren't as strong on talking about the, the Spirit um, as they could be, I, you, you read the, the small catechism and the Spirit's kind of a big deal in the third article. I would argue in many ways that the third article is um, more kind of groundbreaking. But than it's the, objective the things. Right. Like there, here's a church. You read your Bible. You went to church. Right. That's, that's how you know. But it, I, would, I would say if we think of Paul's letter to the Romans um, in chapter 8, the... The place of the spirit is we we tend to think of a concept like joy, and I'm not gonna I won't I won't pick other hymns to make fun of, but but I, I always think a good measure of how we think about a concept is how we would think about it at the cross, and so um, I didn't grow up with the song, but I'm sure some of you did right there. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my. Imagine Christ on the cross singing that. And the thief on his left is like, where? (laughs) Down in my... Um, Or Job with his his festering boils and his wife says, curse God and die. And and we can 
we, we make two mistakes in those moments. We can, we can think, see how weak my faith is. When your faith is, is working overtime, uh, David Foster Wallace um, has a great line. He's not talking about Christianity here, but he says, everything I've loved has claw marks in it. Um, and in, in those moments, your faith is working overtime, holding to the promises of God. And so when Paul mentions the Spirit, he mentions fruits of the Spirit in, in Galatians, for instance. But in Romans, when does the Spirit come up? Um, the Spirit intercedes for us when we don't know what to say, right? Sighs and groans. Um, and so if we, if we think uh, too much of the, of the Spirit in a way of a, an emotional thing, and, uh, and, and feel isn't necessarily always a bad word, but in theology, feel can get a little dangerous um, because we can start to talk about faith as if it were heartburn, right? Um, and, uh, you know, we'll then take some tums for that. But, uh, but if, if what we mean is the presence of the Spirit, right, that this is how do I know the Spirit is with me? Well, if you're, if you're giving Christ to your friends, the Spirit is there because he promises to be wherever his word is being, is being shared, if you're going through hardship, well, the Spirit is there because the Spirit is there to intercede for you um, when, you don't know, when you don't know what to say. Um, if your faith is being tested, well, the Spirit is there because it is the Spirit who has given you faith and dwells in you through faith. Um, and so uh, the same is, is, is true in the Scriptures. Uh, it, whenever we're in the Scriptures, the Spirit is at work. Now, um, I may be looking for like the dopamine, right? I want the I want the 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 excitement that comes from going in the in the scriptures. But it's often just the opposite when we see the scriptures at work on someone in the scriptures themselves. It's where Jonah says, "I should be mad, and I'm so mad, I wish I could die." It's where David says, "My bones are just right hurting." Um, it's where Job is, is, finally listens to his friends and asks God a question. God's like, oh, you remember making the ocean, Job? I don't remember you making the ocean. I thought I made the ocean. You know, um, and so I think uh, there is, we don't want to miss uh, the importance of the Spirit and what the Spirit does. But we also, uh, what, is, what does John say? You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. And so we remember that, right, the wind blows when and where it, it wills. And, and that, we, that we trust that the Spirit is at work even at time. Um, God gave the church one Pentecost, and ever since every preacher has wanted just one more. Right, every time we get up in front of you all and preach, we want that Pentecost moment. Um, and I, let alone 3,000 being baptized, I haven't had one baptized after I preached. Not immediately after, and I certainly haven't had tongues of fire. Um, the fire department probably would have issues with that nowadays anyways. It'd be against code after you do Pentecost outside. Um, but, uh, but remembering that, that, um, that, my, that the cross is a good test of things and, and that we don't want to, to rely too much on the ups and downs because the, the problem is... Um, we can get ups and downs in lots of ways, right? The, the spirit is not a drug. Um, and the problem is, too, if we make this 
emotional high, well, God must be present with me now. When we hit our low, when he's actually most with us in suffering, we, we can be tempted to, to lose faith. Let me, let me summarize it. The fact that you ask that question means you have the spirit. And I would maybe just add, I think, you know, if you're looking, looking for, for certainty, looking inside is always a dangerous thing. Um, in that, because then, you know, I'm turning, turning to myself, and that's what we, all, what we all want to do. But, you know, the, then you look at, especially in John's Gospel, how the persons of the Trinity interact, I think, especially with Jesus' high priestly prayer and stuff toward the end of the gospel. And, and what is this, you know, Jesus is like, just wait for the Spirit, just wait for the Spirit. It's going to be awesome when the Spirit gets here, man. You're not even going to know what it's going to... But then, you know, when the Spirit talks or when, he, when the Spirit is speaking, what is the Spirit doing? The Spirit is pointing back to Jesus, right? And, and, and I think that's kind of this idea of, you know, what does the Spirit do? What is the Spirit's job? The Spirit's job is to... Point us to Jesus, point Wait, us one, to the gospel. One last thought, and then we should, if there's another question. The Spirit always uses physical tools, almost exclusively. So he's going to use the physical word. So where the word is, there's the Spirit. If you're looking for the Spirit, open up your Bible, right? It's not going to be a feeling. I think that's the best advice. How much time do you have? I got uh, you, we, it's how much time you have. Okay. Uh, we have time for... Um, I saw two hands, so maybe two more questions. And people right. got to go. We were not going to be offended yeah. if you got yeah. cut out. All right. I mean, this guy will be offended, but the rest of us won't. Yeah, I already am, but yeah. no, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, is doubt good for a Christian to wrestle with? Because there's been times in my life where it feels like my doubt has strengthened me as a Christian, but then it could feel sometimes like we're standing over the Bible and putting it under a microscope if we're doubting. Yeah, I would say the first part, yes, it's good to wrestle with because if you don't, you'll lose faith. Um, so in that sense, uh, definitely wrestle with it if you're doubting, right? That. Um, secondly, right, one of my, I think one of the most interesting accounts in Scripture is uh, the, the apostles are kind of riding high, like they've got this Jesus power, he's sent them out, they're going to do their work. And then they're, what, the, the boy, they're trying to cast the demon out and he throws himself in the fire and they can't do it and they... Like, why can't we do it? And Jesus says this one only comes out with prayer. But the, right, that's the account. And then the Father says, Lord, if you can, help him. And, and Jesus is like, if, if I can? Like, of course I can. And what does the Father say? He says, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And I think um, if you ever find yourself in a situation uh, wrestling with doubt, I would say, welcome to the club, right? Now, there's a fine line. Um, there are there was a movement among some theologians to make doubt almost like a virtue, like that the essence of faith is doubt. Um, but there is this side of heaven where both sinner and saint, there, there is no faith without, that will not have to wrestle with doubt. And so I, uh, I think um, there is a way to stand over the scriptures when one is doubting. If one were to say, well, well, I'm doubting because this doesn't make sense to me. Uh, but there's also a way to, to go to them and, and say, I, I do wrestle with this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand under this. Uh, and, and, and you wrestle with it in, in Christ. Um, and so I would, I would say um, 
God is at work in those times. And, and you may just find down the road, he was for, at work at things that we don't see in the moment when we're doubting. Um, but I, I, would nev- I would be very leery trusting a Christian who told me they never doubt or have doubts. Um, that's, that's, that just comes with faith. God, God doesn't ha- the devil doesn't have to attack unbelief. Right? He's already got it. I think pastorally the answer is the fact that you're asking it means that you're, you have faith. Yeah. Uh, if you truly don't have faith, you don't, you don't care enough to doubt that. The more academic answer is remember that you are sinner saint and <clears throat> ask yourself, okay, this is what Wade was sort of after with the idea of like help me with my unbelief. The sinner's an unbeliever. The saint's a believer that never doubts. You're a both. Now, sometimes the, maybe the, the, the saint is questioning things, seeking an answer. That's kind of a good sort of, I wouldn't use the word doubt, but like a, like a good sort of, I'm trying to find something, right? And I'm not quite sure. That's a beautiful thing. The sinner is a selfish jerk and is angry at God and doesn't trust God. And, and that's, that's the one that, 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 can, that can doubt that way. You're both. That's the reality. And, and the way you know that you are both um, is because you care enough to ask the question. And that means your ultimate identity is a saint and will be forever. And so then you can say, this is God working on me, and he's going to use all things for, the, for the, my eternal good. And so... We don't want to embrace doubt. That's a silly thing to say. But I'm not going to be, I'm not going to let it, I'm not going to let it destroy me. The, uh, one of my, my favorite jokes. Uh, this is not a time for a joke. I'll, I'll keep it brief. <laughs> so there's this drunk crossing a bridge and uh, the town <laughs> Baptists are having a revival down in the river. And uh, so the Baptist pastor says, well, brother, come down here. We're going to get you baptized. And so the, the drunk, who's probably a Lutheran, um, stumbles down to the river, and the, the pastor dunks him in the river and says, have you found Jesus? The man says, not yet. And he dunks him in the river and says, have you found Jesus? And he says, not yet. And one more time, he dunks him in the river, and he says, brother, have you found Jesus? And the drunk says, are you sure he fell in here? <laughs> and... Um, he did fall in there. Right? The Lutheran teaching on baptism, Romans 6, that's where he is. He's in what is baptism? It's the word, the word with water. Um, and so in the midst of doubt, sometimes all we can do is you, you jump in the water um, and you know he's there. And, uh, Which is to say... And sometimes you're treading that water. You but, say you remember your baptism. Right. That is a historical event that cannot be undone. Can't, you cannot doubt that you were baptized. And that baptism is the Bible. It is the word, yeah. Was there one more? Yes. Oh, yeah. I didn't mute you. You want to give it to Pastor Lyon? He can try. Hello. Oh, there was, we go. I was going to have you give it to him, and then I was going to mute him. Okay, that was <laughs> So you guys get to study the Bible a lot. How do you avoid the temptation, or what's your advice on avoiding the temptation that you might know everything there is to know or that you don't need to study a particular section of scripture because you already have the more you know the more you know you don't know the more you know the more you know you don't know and that's true of everything especially of the bible 
uh, that that is not a threat for for me. Yeah, I Although think I, I, I think uh, I was gonna say I think this is you're familiar with Shrek, right? That's still something that you know. Yes, and Shrek's an ogre, and ogres are like onions, right? Because they're layers, and and you know I think theology is kind of like the, you got to tell your drunk joke. Let okay. me tell my Shrek thing. Go ahead. Uh, so so this. Uh, idea i think theology kind of works this way in some ways too or the study of the scriptures works this way because you know like you you start picking at it and you kind of work your way through almost the whole layer and then there's just this one spot and the, at least this is kind of how it tends to work or has worked for me and and like ah, oh, i'm i don't quite you know i work at that and i struggle with that and i and i dig into that and then i find out as i do that oh man now that piece, a little something extra came off with that piece. There's a whole other layer under here. Uh, and and this, has, this is just kind of how that works where you think, I think I kind of got, you know, this, I, I've worked through this. Um, and then lo and behold, you get to the end of what you thought, I, I think I finally got all the pieces in place. Um, and yet there's a deeper understanding there. And that book that happens with most, uh, most often is Genesis. Yeah, that's a good one. I I would say though you are on to something that uh, I I won't speak for these two, but I think uh, <coughs> those who do theology as a profession or, or just pastors in general, it can become really easy to fall back on the pat answers and staying just a step ahead. Like I know I have this answer that will satisfy ninety percent of people. Um. Or with the pericope, <coughs> the lectionary, the three-year series of texts, I know this text well enough. Um, and that's where you guys are a gift to us. Um, but where also life is a gift. The Lord has a way of um, finding those places and sending the student with the question or the student with the problem or the question or problem arising with us. And and that's where, you know, like Michael said, where I should throw out my old sermons. But one of the helpful reminders is that the words of the text remain the same, but I'm never the same when I go to them. And it's not as Luther once complained about his pastor, um, Johannes Bugenhagen, who this guy's studying for for grad school. It's a good guy. Um, Luther called him the plumber. He was a Pomeranian and yeah. many Wells people back uh, in the day, their families came from Pomerania. I, I married a, a Palmer. And um, the uh, he says, Bugenhagen goes up with this sack of treasures and sometimes doesn't end until he's taken out each one. Each each text is a sack of treasures. And when we go to it, I don't mean this in a as if the text is malleable and changes meaning. But there's more than we find there every one time. Uh, as you guys uh, experience life, you're going to have certain places that you go to once and you say that was good. But then you're going to have certain places you just want to keep going back to because you want to go back, A, because you want to go to the old familiar places. That was a really good meal. But also when you go, you realize there's other things you also want to see. And as the Lord opens our eyes and our hearts to things, um, through life, uh, I think that's what we find about the text. But I will, I will say it's an absolute temptation, especially when schedules get busy, 
to fall back on the pat answers, and, and it, it's a disservice to me and, and to others. Um, and I think that's where God's people are a real gift to his pastors and to theologians. Let, in, in let, let me wrap it up because I think this goes for full circle is you can kickstart that by reading a, a commentary or a devotional, and that, that's the difference between reading the Bible yourself and reading it as a community, right? And uh, when, you, when you hear, a, I don't know, a podcast or something, yeah, um, give you some new insight on a particular story, then you, almost, it's like you, you then apply that to everything else, right? And it's, and it's a new, fresh thing. And that happens at times, right? And so, yeah, I, it is a threat. I, I was too dismissive. I mean, I think it is a threat. You can get stale in your thinking. Um, but, but then there's, there's other people, and this is why the community is important. There's other people that get you there. There's other commentaries. There's other things like that. So, and I think it frees you a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I don't think this guy's even read the whole thing yet. So I don't, you got anything? He more got, to say he got the numbers. I don't yeah, think that's he got right. I mean, numbers. Me that numbers is exactly it's hard it's stuff. Yeah. Yep. I, I don't know. I don't know. He watched Shrek like 12 times. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I should watch Shrek again. And well, well, we, uh, we'll, we'll thank you for your time. We better not go. Way too long. Or did you have one more thing you no, want to say? No, I was just going to say that uh, this is about, it's not about getting data. It's about freedom, freedom from the gospel. We should freedom give from someone sin a shirt. to the gospel. If you're setting it up, we should give a shirt to someone who knows what to say. Yeah. Is there anyone who knows for sure how to end it, what you say at the end? Okay. We got right here. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you throw it to him? He'll All give right. him a shirt. So, he can uh, say it at the end. When, uh, when we realize that Christ has done everything for us, and that he has given this world back to us to enjoy, not to make more laws to. There's nothing left to do but let the bird fly. Ah, there we go. All right, thank you everybody for...